Good morning. And Happy New Year to everyone here. I am assuming everyone remembers that this is now 2017. It'll probably take you until 2018 to start getting it right on our checks and school papers and all that. It's always an adjustment, isn't it? But it's, I always liked this time of year for several reasons growing up. The first thought that would always come to my mind as a young person on January 1st, I don't know how many other people would do this, but I'd always wake up in the morning and I'd think, only six more months till Camp Horizon. I'm halfway there. Any other kids think that way? That was my first thought on, on New Year's Day. Um, my mom liked to watch the parade. I was thinking of camp. The second reason I always liked this time of year is because my school semester always started over. Didn't matter what kind of grades I got last semester. I'm starting over. And I got a 100% as I started each of those, each of those new classes. And you know, as we take the time today to kind of look back as well as look forward, I hope that you realize that God gives each and every one of us the chance to start over. If you don't know where you stand with God, whether you have a relationship with Him, you don't know where you're going when this life is over, He has the gift of everlasting life He'd like to give to you today. If you already know that you have eternal life, doesn't matter what last year held, doesn't matter what yesterday held or what this morning held, our Bible tells us is that, you, that if you're a child of God, if you simply confess those sins that you now realize that you've done, He will forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness and you can walk in newness and wholeness and oneness with Him again in your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it's a great thing to realize that there is a chance to start over. And we really need to keep doing that every day, every moment as a child of God to know that we're in right communion with Him. I don't know how you like to spend your New Year's Eves. I've had a whole lot of different ways I've spent New Year's Eve. I was out of town a couple of years and didn't really know people in the town where I was, and so I was kind of alone. And um, sometimes they have these TV programs on. Most of them I find quite obnoxious and um, empty. And uh, I longed to be with family and with others. Spent some right here in this building, New Year's Eve services with others praying in the new year. Spent some with family. But many times I have done what I hope that we can do together today is to take a look back in the rearview mirror. But we don't want to spend all our time in the rearview mirror. We've got to be looking out the front windshield and look at what's coming ahead. And so this morning, as I, what I'd like to share with you is something that came to me a while ago. I started looking it up and preparing. And I said, well, maybe this is not what I should be doing. And, and yet the Lord led me back here. And so um, this morning, if I had to give a title to my message, um, well, I'll tell you the actual title. And then I just have one thing to say to you today. And um, the, it's actually the phrase we're going to talk about. So my title would be one thing. Um, so it's a little deceiving, right? I looked up the phrase one thing in my concordance. And that phrase shows up in the King James, the New King James Bible, 18 times. 
And uh, what I've done is I've, I've got my top 10 picks of those 18. Sometimes those countdown shows at the end of the year, they got their top 10, whatever, and they count down, whatever. I'm not going to try to figure out, you know, the most important of those things. You know, God's word, all of it is important, right? But, but the 10 most meaningful one things that I saw in that list is what I'd like to share with you today. So we have 10 one things. It's not 11. 10 one things. Um, and so if you want to write some of these down, you can look them up yourself later. I found it quite fascinating. But we're going to find our first one in Psalm 27. It's not the first one that shows up, but it's where we're going to start. It's kind of a flow of thought that I decided to follow uh, to kind of think, well, of all the things that the Bible could say, here's one thing. Well, it seems rather noteworthy. And so we're going to take a look at those. And uh, perhaps you're already there in Psalm 27, but we're just going to open again in a word of prayer and commit this time to the Lord together. Lord, we want to say thank you this morning for new life. We thank you for life itself. It's a gift from you. Your word tells us that every single breath that we breathe, you grant to us. We know that life has ups and downs. And many of us have suffered quite a few of both of those this year. Some really down times. And yet we've had some up times. We pray, Lord, that as we recognize that you are the omnipotent, sovereign God, King of kings and Lord of lords, and, and you have allowed each and every one of those things to come into our lives. And so we want to say thank you for not giving us more than we could handle. Thank you for your promise to be with us each and every step of the journey of our lives, that, that when we stop to reach for you, we find that you're already there reaching for us. And Lord, as we take a little bit of time to look back into your word as we look back into our lives this last year as we look into the new year we're asking that you would speak to us that you would show us what one thing you would have us to single out as an area of focus as we seek to go forward to know you to love you to serve you to honor you with the life that you've given to us and so we commit our time to you as well as all those in the back in the Sunday school rooms, all those around the world who are opening your word today to hear from you. We thank you for allowing us to come into your presence and to speak to us. We ask this now in Jesus name. Amen. As I said, the first of these ten one things we're going to talk about this morning is in Psalm 27. Now, this is a Psalm of David, the king. And he tells us here in verse four, he says, one thing I have desired of the Lord and that will I seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. It's no small thing that God himself would identify David the king as a man after God's own heart. Now, if you know the story of David's life, you know that he had some very tragic failures in his life. He failed morally, disgraced the name of God publicly because of his moral failure. To try to cover it up, he murdered a man. And yet here's a man, when he was confronted with his sin, he was broken because of it. And he cast himself once again at the mercy 
of God and was restored to him. And this is the man who said, you know, there's one thing. If I can boil down all the desires of my heart to one thing, here's the one thing that I've desired of the Lord. And I'm going to seek that, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. He said, I just want to be close to him. That was David's desire. That's why God chose him to be king. And you know, I would dare say, based on what I know of the word of God, that that is the desire that God has put in all of our hearts. Maybe we don't realize it some of the time. Maybe for much of our lives we didn't realize it. But you know, the Bible tells me in uh, Ecclesiastes, now this is David's son Solomon, and God said that there was none other wiser than him to come along, save the Lord Jesus Christ himself, who wasn't just a man, but was also God. But in Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11, Solomon writes, God has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. You catch that? God has put in our hearts an understanding and desire for something that is not even here in this life. It's, it's something of eternity. There's a longing in our hearts for what this world cannot satisfy. And, and, and the New Testament would go even more specifically in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And, and, and if you're not familiar with where the books of the Bible are located, and it's hard for you to follow along today, I apologize for the difficulty but I don't apologize for us going to look at much scripture because you know what? What I have to say to you is not worth much. But what God has to say to us is worth everything. And so uh, we'd like to go and, and, and find out the de- a little bit of the depths of some of these things that God has to say, these one things. But in 1 Corinthians 6, I've often marveled at this. The context of the passage is about those like King David who were struggling with immorality, a lifestyle that was displeasing to God and harmful to their very beings. They were living lives of sexual immorality. And in the midst of this discussion, Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 6.11, Foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Isn't that a strange verse to put in the midst of a context like that? But here's what God's telling us. He says, you know this from nature. You've got a stomach. And that stomach has lots of cravings. And we have just come out of the perfect illustration of this concept going through the Christmas season. Cookies and cakes of so many different kinds are made in the last four weeks that aren't even made the rest of the year. And they're spread all over our houses. And we go around the day and we see them and we think, hmm, that looks good. And so we go and we take a bite and it's so good. And so we say, I want some more. And then we go to that one and we have, oh, I shouldn't take any more of those. But, oh, look at this one. I haven't had one of those yet. And we fill our stomachs with all kinds of things. And yet at the end of all that, we turn around and go, I still feel hungry. And yet I feel sick. That doesn't make sense. Right. We fill our stomachs with things that it wasn't designed to be filled with. And so it doesn't satisfy. But what did he say? 
We have a body, just like our stomach was made for food. And when you put the right kind of food into that stomach, it satisfies. We have these desires in our bodies that long to be fulfilled. And we start filling them with the wrong things and we wonder why we're not satisfied. And God says to us, look, your body was not made for those other things you keep trying to satisfy it with. For them, it was sexual immorality. For us, it could be any number of things. Popularity. Acceptance in relationships, financial gain and prestige, reputation, all kinds of things that people pursue with their lives to try to fill that emptiness that's in them. And God tells us, listen, your body wasn't made for that. Our bodies are for the Lord and the Lord for the body, just like God made food to be able to be properly put into the stomach to satisfy it. God has put something in our souls that only God will satisfy. And so David says, one thing I've desired of you, Lord, and that's what I'm going to seek after, that I may dwell with you in that holy place. Don't you find that's really the desire of your heart? To know God, to love God. And yet how many times have we kept on trying to fill it with something else? You know, now's a good time to stop the madness. Change our diet of heart. To be able to let the Lord fill us like David desired to do. So it's not just David. He's not just some made of a different stuff. I'll never forget being at uh, Bible school. And it wasn't Bible school that made the difference. It's just the first time in my life that I regularly spent time alone with God. I grew up in a church like this one. I heard the word of God regularly. I was trying my hardest to please God with the way I lived my life. But I didn't understand this desire in my heart. And so there was a certain measure of something quite missing. In my own walk with God, even though I wasn't walking in open sin or anything like that. But I didn't quite realize it until I regularly sat down and I talked to God. I didn't just, I'm going to pray. I talked to God. I was reading his word and and I found that his word was speaking to my heart. I found that as I was speaking to him, he would Respond to my questions and desires and, and, and guide me. That scares some of us, doesn't it? Right? That's very subjective. But all those things that we, that we have passed through our minds have to be evaluated and sifted through this to find out whether it's my voice or the enemy trying to deceive me or whether it's God's spirit speaking to me. But I'll never forget the day I just realized, wow, I'm talking to God like he's here in the room with me, like I'm talking to my best friend. And, and I realized, wait a minute, because he is. And I experienced something I never experienced in my Christian life before. A relationship alive and growing with Jesus Christ. That's what he wants for you. It's what he saved you for. Isn't that what Jesus said? This is eternal life, that they may know you. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That we can know God. Is that the one great desire of your heart? I pray that it is. It was for David and God has put that into our hearts and we need to do our best to to try to come back to that. If there's something else we've been stuffing in in that heart of ours that would keep us from experiencing it. Well, that's our first one thing, Psalm 27, 4. 
to know God, to dwell with him daily. Well, here's what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 3. And I should have told you to keep your finger there. Twice, Solomon says something in Ecclesiastes that is noteworthy using this same phrase, one thing. Ecclesiastes 3, 19. Ecclesiastes. Now, you've got to be careful with Ecclesiastes, right? Solomon wrote this book and you'll hear two different perspectives. He says, I looked at life under the sun and it was empty and meaningless. Okay, he only looked out into life as far as the sun, the realm where God dwells is beyond this universe. And so you have to include God in your perspective beyond the sun. But when he's speaking of what he observed in life under the sun, it always comes out to be some empty, miserable stuff. But then he looks beyond the S-U-N, right? Like we need to do and look to the S-O-N, the son of God. Bring him into the perspective of our life and we're going to find what we really ought to be seeing. And so here's Solomon. And he says in Ecclesiastes 3.19. For what happens to the sons of men also happens to animals. One thing befalls them. As one dies, so dies the other. Surely they all have one breath. Man has no advantage over animals for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust and all return to dust. Whew. You know which part of the book we're reading. <laughs> the life under the sun. But notice Ecclesiastes 5, excuse me, 9.3. 9.3. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that one thing happens to all. Truly the hearts of the sons of men are full of evil. Madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. He says, listen, one thing awaits us all. He says it twice. Death. Now, the reality is God did not make us to experience death. When God made Adam in the garden, he made him a living soul. He breathed into him the breath of life. But that's not the world we live in today. For as by one man, sin entered into the world and death through sin. So this is a reality of our life that, that we weren't supposed to experience. We weren't made for it. And so it doesn't matter who it is that we know. Or even as we face death, it's not natural we have such difficulty processing it because we were made for life. But the Bible says that the penalty of sin is death, right? And so we live in a broken world and we are broken people. And the consequences, the wages of sin is death. And so the one thing that we need to come to terms with is that the Bible says, Hebrews 9, 27, it is appointed unto a man once to die and after that the judgment and so although we have this desire for God, like David that says, Lord, I want to be with you. I know that you put eternity in my heart. And so I know that there's something else waiting after the grave. And yet at the same time, our sin puts us in a place where we will not be able to experience that very thing that God made us for. Because we are separated from him because of our sin. 
My friends, if that's you here today and you are still separated from God in your sins, listen, Solomon has told us twice there is one thing that you need to know. There's no hope for you outside of Jesus Christ. Because every one of us, man and beast, is just passing through this life. It's not This life on this earth, as you know, it is not going to last forever. And those of us who are increasing... Those numbers on the birthday will tell you it's going faster and faster every year. I got my own theory on that, but that's another discussion. It's appointed unto man wants to die, but we can be ready for that day. If you're here today and you're not ready for it, God brought you here for a reason so that you can be ready for it. Just as Solomon said twice to us here, one thing befalls all of us and we will return to the dust through death. Jesus says something remarkable to a man. It's recorded twice in the scriptures. Mark 10, 21 is the first one in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John record for us the life of the Lord Jesus. The one and only solution to that problem of sin And so in Mark chapter 10, we have recorded for us the discussion of a rich young ruler who comes to seek out Jesus. And he asks him, notice verse 17. This is Mark 10, 17. As Jesus was going out on the road, one came running and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Notice this is the man's desire. I want eternal life. What do I need to do in order to get it? Jesus begins to speak with him. And the discussion leads. Okay, so Jesus uh, recounts to him the various commands of Scripture outlining God's holy. Uh, God's holiness and the requirements on our souls. And, and the man says to Jesus in verse 20, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. He says, I've done that. But notice what Jesus says to him in verse 21. Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross and follow me. But the man was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. If you want to hold your finger there, let's turn to Luke 18. I want to read to you the the parallel recording of the same incident by another writer. Luke 18 in verse 22. Luke, being a physician, paid great detail to the intricacies of the individuals that he told us about. I enjoy reading his versions of the various accounts when they overlap. Luke 18, 22 says, So when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. But when he heard this, he became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. Here was a man who desired eternal life. 
But he went away without ever receiving it. And you don't see Jesus watching the man leave. I know. I learned a lot about myself to know I should never go into sales. You don't want to accept no as an answer. And so people will constantly make uh, uh, um, alternative offers to try to find some way to get you to sign on the line. At sometimes sacrificing more than they should for the items or services that they're selling. But you see, when it comes to eternal life, there's no negotiation with God. The penalty for sin is death. And that's the only acceptable thing for sin that God can possibly accept as payment to cover the penalty of our sin. The problem is if we had to pay it, we couldn't pay it. So that's why the, the soul that remains in its sin when, that at the time of death must go to the lake of fire to try to pay the penalty for sin. But the Bible says it's an eternal punishment. And so we'll never finish paying the penalty. And so we'll always be eternally dying, but never done. Truly, I've heard people say, everyone's going to live forever. It just matters. It's a matter of which place. That's not true. There's eternal life and there's eternal death. So you will exist forever, but you will not live forever if you don't know Jesus Christ. You will either have eternal life with God or you'll have eternal death in the lake of fire. Very important difference. But this man wanted eternal life, but Jesus could not renegotiate with the man. The man said, I've done all these things. Surely I must be able to get eternal life. But Jesus said, no. Why did he tell him to go give away all of his stuff? Can we actually decide? I want to go to heaven, so I'm going to give away everything I own and become a monk somewhere and give my life to God and I'll go to heaven. Is that the way we get eternal life? No. So then why did Jesus tell this to the man? Because the man had an idol. Some one thing that was way more important to him than his own soul. And Jesus wanted him to see that. Oh, you think you're doing pretty good. Hmm. How about your bank account? Jesus knew his heart and knew that's where his idol was. And so he said to them, okay. Get rid of that money. He was very wealthy. And he couldn't do it. I should say he wouldn't do it. My friend, if you're here today, is there some one thing that is more important to you than your soul? That you've been holding on to and unwilling to come to Jesus Christ for your salvation? I've met people like that. One of my friends had a younger sibling... Their family served the Lord in full-time ministry, even in a foreign country. I met up with that family later on. This younger sister was now 19 years old. Said, you know, something happened to me since the last time I saw you. I trusted in Christ at 19. I said, I thought you were saved. No, I just pretended. I knew my parents wanted me to be and everyone expected me to be, but there was something in her heart that she would not let go of. Even though she confessed with her mouth to be a Christian, God knows the heart. And so he 
may be whispering to someone's heart here today saying, one thing you lack. There's one thing you're holding on to that's more important than your own soul's destiny and you're holding on to it. And Jesus would say to you, let it go. Let it go. Come to Jesus. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But you've got to do that. You've got to forsake whatever that other idol is. It might just be your own self, your own time. There are people who come and they ask all kinds of questions. They're trapped in some sort of sin. And it can be anything. I don't even want to name one in particular. But they'll come to someone and say, Can you be a Christian and do this? And they want to argue, Can I come to Christ and never give up this idol of mine? you really going to let that keep you out of heaven? For a few more years of your misguided, empty pursuit? It won't satisfy. And it'll only last a little while. And you're going to leave it behind. And this last year, we've seen so many wealthy people who look like they've got it all. But they leave it all when they pass out of this life. And Jesus said, what will it profit a person if they gain the whole world and yet lose their own soul? God loved you so much that he sent Jesus into the world to take care of that problem. And he will save you if you just turn to him. But you've got to let go of that one thing that's keeping you back from giving your heart to him to trust him for your salvation. Solomon said it twice. One thing's going to happen down the road. Death's coming because of sin. But Jesus said twice, that one thing will keep you away, although I want to give it to you. Give it up for Jesus Christ. John 9 recounts a man who did it. John chapter 9 tells us, a, mirror, a medical miracle that's never been repeated. A man who was born blind. They've done all kinds of cornea transplants and things to restore sight to someone who had it and lost it. But here was a man whose physical apparatus never worked. And yet Jesus came along and healed him and gave him sight. And it was a big upheaval because Jesus did it on a, on a Sabbath day that they, the religious leaders said no one was supposed to do any work. And here's this man healing people. And it was a big hubbub about it. And, and they're upset at Jesus. And they come and they question the man about who, whose eyes were healed about Jesus. And they want to know who he was and more about him. And in John 9, 25, the man answers the people. And he, he answered and said, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. He says, all this stuff about the law that you're trying to argue about, I don't know anything about that. But look what he said. But one thing I do know, one thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. (laughs) That's beautiful, isn't it? All I know is this. I was blind, couldn't see anything, but I met Jesus Christ and now I see. Jesus goes on to talk to those religious leaders about this whole idea of blindness and seeing and puts a spiritual application to it. You may be able to see with your eyes, but he said, in your hearts, 
You can't see the truth because you've rejected Jesus Christ. You're blind. But this man says, I was blind, but now I see. I now know who Jesus is. And I don't just know about him because someone told me, but I have been healed by him. And if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you can say the same thing with absolute assurance and confidence as that man did. Because I know the Bible tells me in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, that I have written these things to you so that you may know that you have everlasting life. Isn't that beautiful? Nine out of ten people I meet on the street, well, I hope I have eternal life. I hope I'll go to heaven. And your heart breaks for them. Because when a person understands the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they realize that simply by putting their trust in what he did by dying on the cross to take our place and pay the penalty of our sin, that God does forgive us. He does give us everlasting life. He does make us a child of God. And he says, you can know it. And a, chi- and a person who has faith in the word of God does know it. And when someone tells me, well, I hope so, I realize most of these people are lost. They don't know. And if they were to die today, they won't be ready. But this man, one thing I know, I tell you, I was blind, but now I see. And my prayer for you today is that if you walk out those doors, that you can say with the same confidence in your own heart, I was blind. I didn't know the truth about Jesus. I didn't know the truth about how my sin could be forgiven. But now I know. That's God's desire for you today, too. But, you know, there's a few more I knows in here. That are meant for those of us who do know Christ as our savior. Luke chapter 10. It happens that Jesus is traveling from village to village and he comes to a certain town called Bethany. It says a certain man named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and and heard his word. This is Luke 10, 40. But Martha was distracted in her much serving and, and she approached Jesus and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve all alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha... Oh, Martha, you're worried and troubled about so many things, but one thing is needed. One thing. And Mary has chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. One thing is needed. Now, let's be clear. We're all supposed to serve Jesus. Even those who don't know the Lord as their Savior. It's good that they desire to do good things. God wants us to do good things. But that's not the end. There's something greater. He says, Mary has chosen that good part. Oh, what was that part? Verse 39. Mary also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Sitting at Jesus' feet. Spending time with him. Listening to him.
I believe Jesus is saying, when we're done here, we can serve together. But don't swap your service for the relationship. Christian, do you struggle with that? I do. It's hard. I think it's great. Martha wanted to serve the Lord. Give him her best meal. I love that. But not at the expense of her personal time with the Lord. One thing is... Jesus said one thing is necessary. That's a strong word. Needed. Necessary. If we're missing that, we're missing out. We're not going to experience the fullness of what God has desired for us and what's in our hearts. Is that one thing that you need to work on this year? I know it's one thing I do. A little bit more like Mary. Not distracted in my serving like Martha. Serving won't get you to heaven. But if you know the Lord is your Savior, let's choose to be more like Mary and carve out that time to sit at Jesus' feet. Paul said the same thing. Philippians 3. This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Philippians 3. Paul is writing to people who are suffering, who uh, were, were being persecuted for the name of Christ. And Paul himself was writing from prison. And yet he didn't claim any of that as some reason to... Um, to look at himself better than he ought to. He says, and I'd love to go into the whole passage, but for sake of time, if we can just go then to verse 11 uh, or 12, he says, not that I've already attained. He says, I haven't arrived at where I should be or I'm already perfected. No, but I do press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. God desires a relationship with us that we might know him deeply. And he says, that's what I'm trying to reach, press on to lay hold of myself. Verse 13, I do not count myself, brothers, as having apprehended. But one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He says, this is the one thing I'm doing. Yeah, I've had some successes in the past. I've had some failures in the past. But forgetting that, don't, don't let it trip you up anymore. Yes, we need to. See what happened. We need to to make right what needs to be made right. But let's not dwell there. Let's not say, well, I did my missionary service last year. I've already witnessed to somebody last year. I don't need to do it. Let's 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 look forward and press forward to lay hold of that for which Christ has laid hold of us. And if we haven't attained it yet, just keep on. Because that's what he wants. And Paul says, look, I'm still working on this myself. It's my desire. And so with this great example, we've got Mary, we've got Paul, John says in 1 John 3, right? If we have this hope, let's purify ourselves. He says, let's not relax because we've come so far. Let's, Let's try to go farther in drawing close to Christ, becoming more like Christ in second peter peter tells us another one thing i hope you're enjoying these this is number 7 i'm sorry no 9 on our list second peter 3:8 
Here was a bunch of people that scoffed at the word of God. The believers were trying to share with those around them about the promise of the Lord Jesus to come back. And the people were scoffing. Ha! You know how long ago that was that Jesus said he was coming back? Come on now. You need to grow up. Stop trusting in those fairy tales. Scoffing at the word of God. But Peter would remind them in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, he says, But beloved, do not forget this one thing. That with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. And the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness. But he is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He says, yes, the Lord said he's coming back, but why isn't he back? Because he's patient. He's waiting for you. He's waiting for someone else who's around you who still needs to hear about Jesus Christ. And that's the reason he's waiting. And, and, he, and so Peter says, listen, just because the Lord's waiting, don't consider that he's not going to keep his word. Besides, God is eternal. Listen, one day to God, it goes by just, how should I say a thousand years to an eternal God goes by just as quickly as a day. If I had a drop of water to add to the ocean, would it really be a whole lot different than throwing a bucket into the ocean? No. Yeah, you can put the bucket and the drop next to each other. It looks like a big difference. But compared to the ocean? So the fact that Jesus hasn't come back in 2,000 years, so What? Just a few drops of time. But he is coming back. All of his other promises have come true. And in the context of Second Peter, he said, don't you remember how God told Noah, I'm going to send a flood? And people scoffed at him. Oh, yeah, a hundred years. It hasn't come yet. But I tell you, when the rain started falling, now they wanted to get in the ark. See, Noah didn't close the door. Noah didn't have the freedom to open the door. When God called Noah into the ark, Noah went in in obedience and faith and trust in God, and God closed the door. And the Bible tells me that someday the opportunity for you to trust in Christ is going to come to an end. God will shut that door. And for now, the door is open, and God's saying, Come, come to Jesus. You can be saved today. And... I had a friend who used to say the opportunity of a lifetime only lasts as long as the lifetime of the opportunity. Whatever deals you saw before Christmas, now you got a little bit more cash and say, well, I'm going to go back. And they say, I'm sorry, that sale's over. It's now full price and restored you even more. Miserable example compared to your soul, Right. The Bible says now is the appointed time. Today is the day of salvation. While it's still today, trust in him. Believer, you already trust in him. Is there one thing still in your heart? Not right. Is there something else God wants us to press on? To know him better. To be more conformed to the image of his son. Don't know what that may be. I got one more one thing verse for you. Joshua 23, 14. It's the first one that came up in my list. Oh, no, wait. There were some others, but they weren't. They didn't make my top ten picks. Um, 
Joshua 23. Here is Joshua at the end of his life. He has led the people of God for years. And now he's brought them into the promised land. And his life is nearing an end. And he's gathering the people together to encourage them as they are going to have to continue after the end of his life. And so someone else is going to have to come along to lead the people. They're going to have to go it without him. And so in Joshua 23, verse 14... Here is what Joshua says to the people. Behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth. That means he's going to die. And you know in in and you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing has failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spoke concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one word of them has failed. And I think if you have the old King James, it says not one thing of them has failed. It says it twice in that verse. Not one thing of all that God has ever said has failed. Not one promise. Not one prediction of his judgment. None. All of it has been absolutely faithful and true. My friends, as we go into the new year, there's plenty of people who will scoff like they did in Peter's day at the word of God. But this is our lifeline, our hope, our rock, our anchor to keep us steadfast in these uncertain days. And I want to encourage you as you look into this new year, whatever's coming, whether it's a rocky road, whether it's a smooth path, I don't know, but hang on to the Lord. And hang on to the promises in his word because not one of them will ever fail. One of the things I like about the passages of Jesus in the Old Testament, like Isaiah 53. I'm sure it's been observed before. Maybe it's old to you. But when I remember it, it blesses me and I hope it's a blessing to you. You look back at Isaiah chapter 53 and it's all about Jesus. It's a picture of our Savior who would one day come to bear away our sin so that we can be healed. To see how he, we were like sheep going astray and yet uh, how he was going to come to take our place and pay the penalty like a good shepherd to bring us back into relationship with him. But throughout the whole entire chapter, it's past tense. Don't you love that? It hasn't even happened yet in history. But in the mind of God, it's already done. Because he's eternal and he's looking at his son. His word is so true that it might as well already be past tense. But for you and me stuck in time, it's still hanging out there in the future. But we can rest on it. Isn't that great? I found myself with a bill. Just in this last month, we did a bit of traveling and the Lord provided the means for it. He even provided extra. And I thought, you know what? I can save money by paying my property taxes early instead of piddling it along and pay the extra by the time it's due in March or whenever it is. And the Lord says, if you have what's owed people, pay them. So I said, "Okay, Lord, I'm going to pay you provided. No sooner did I do that. And all the expenses from the trip came rolling in on my credit card. And I looked at my bank account and they didn't look too good next to each other. So I started crying out to the Lord saying, uh, Lord, um, <laughs> you see this. And I was trying to do the right thing, but maybe I shouldn't have done that. Maybe I should have held on to it for the day and pay it later. And no, I kind of paid some of my bills late because I was not wanting to go deal with that matter in the checkbook. 
Maybe I shouldn't be saying all this. I don't know. <laughs> but, you know, I was even kind of ashamed to tell my wife. And then the other day I said, well, the year's going to end. I've got to pay these bills. And I went and I, I went in and I, I even got out that credit card bill. And somehow God brought in enough money to pay it all. I don't think I've ever paid all my credit cards in December. We never leave a balance, but in December sometimes you've had to roll it over. And my property tax before December 31. And I felt so ashamed that I didn't trust God. Here I preach about the promises of God. I will provide for your needs through the riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And yet I still struggle with doubt. Trust the one who gave his life for me. But as we look back, we looked at some examples in the Bible. Um, Listen, this week is the week that some people celebrate Three Kings Day, where we recognize that the Magi came later to find Christ and presented unto him gifts. I don't know what your personal view on New Year's resolutions is. For many years, I didn't do them at all. I didn't want to not fulfill what I committed to God to do. But you know, with the example of the wise men with, uh, who came and they presented gifts to the King of Kings. In our society, we celebrate birthdays and we give gifts to the one who has a birthday. And I've been challenged with the question, is there, you know, and for our kids, we, we have them write down, what's on your wish list for Christmas? And so they express their desires. And, and, and we try to honor what we can of those. They may not get all of them, they may not get none of them, but at least it's a starting place for us, right? But is it possible that you, as a child of God, in your relationship with your Heavenly Father, know that Jesus' birthdays come around? And there might be a desire that he has from you to give him a gift. Would you be willing to consider a gift to the Lord at the close of this Christmas season, the beginning of a new year? And as we each quiet ourselves in our minds and consider what that might be, it's going to be different for all of us, isn't it? But I know in my own heart, when I quiet myself, there was at least one thing that came to mind. Is there one that maybe the Lord's been putting on your mind? Maybe he's been putting his finger on it and you've been ignoring it like I did my bills. Perhaps he's wanting you to carve out more time to be like Mary and spend time alone with him. To speak with him more in prayer. Perhaps you've had a particular attitude that you know is not pleasing to the Lord. And he's saying, I want you to give that up. That one thing that you've been lacking to let me give you a different attitude this year. Perhaps you've done a lot of complaining and he says, I want you to be more thankful this year. Perhaps you've been rather envious and covetous of 
things you see other people have. And the Lord's challenging you to be content, to learn to be content this year. Perhaps you've been wrestling with fear and anxiety and the Lord's saying, I want you to give that up and trust me in some area of your life this year. Maybe you've been on the taking end of things in your relationships with people and God's saying, I want you to serve others. Maybe you've not been as generous with your time or money and God's saying, I don't want you to be so stingy and just think of yourself. To open your heart to those around you, to those who might have needs that you, God might be wanting you to help meet. Is there a, a, a bitterness, an unforgiveness in your heart towards someone and God's saying, I want you to give that up and forgive? Can you make that one thing that you would be willing to give as a gift and meet the desire of the Lord for your life? Maybe you've been a silent follower of Christ and the Lord's saying, I want you to be vocal, to speak up. Maybe we come here to worship the Lord and, and we let the same people Exercise their priesthood. And God's saying, I want you to pray, brother. I want you to lead my other priests in our worship time. I don't know what it is. I I just... uh, But I do know the Lord knows. And we each have a relationship with Him as a child of God. But is there one thing that you would be able to give the Lord as a a gift for His birthday. A commitment is starting the new year to say, Lord, I do want to purify myself, to be more like Jesus, so I don't need to be ashamed when I see Him. I've been seeking Him, the desire of my heart, each and every day. There's a hymn we sometimes sing, King of my life, I crown Thee now, Thine shall the glory be, lest I forget Thy thorn-crowned brow, lead me to Calvary. May I be willing... Oh, no. Let me, like Mary, through the gloom, come with a gift to thee. Show me now the empty tune and lead me to Calvary, lest I forget Gethsemane. Lest I forget thine agony. Lest I forget thy love for me. Lead me to Calvary. We sing that sometimes. There's a song that I used to hear. I printed the words. Where'd they go? Rich Mullins has a song called One Thing. Everybody I know says they need just one thing. And what they really mean is that they need just one thing more. But still, I want to love and serve you more and more. You're my one thing. Save me from those things that might distract me. Please take them away and purify my heart. I don't want to lose the eternal for the things that are passing. You're my one thing. Every night and every day, you hold on tight or you drift away. And you're left to live with the choices you make. Oh, Lord, please give me the strength to watch and work and love and sing and pray. Because who have I in heaven but you, Jesus? You're my one thing. May that be the prayer of our hearts as we start the new year. That Jesus really would be the one thing that we would want to pursue more than anything else. And if there's something that's in the way, that we'd be willing to give up that one thing to make him the one pursuit of our lives. Lord, we commit to you this time. I pray, Lord, that these words would have been your words and not just my own making. 
over and over you've identified individual things that may be a hindrance or maybe yearnings from your own heart that you want to be ours that are already ours and yet we've not sought them like David said he wanted to do. Like Paul was willing to do to let everything else be like rubbish falling away that he might know Jesus more. Lord, would you help us to forget those things that lie behind and press on to lay hold of that for which you laid hold of us, that we might know you, that we might know our Savior in intimacy and love him more and as a consequence be able to serve him better and in a way that is pleasing to you. Not to be a distraction to our walk with you, but to be a response of one who is fully given in love with Jesus Christ. Lord, I I pray that you would help these things not to be a a, a guilt trip upon us to beat ourselves down, but that we would see your heart to shower your love upon us, to reveal yourself to us, to fill that empty part of us that only you can fill. And maybe willing to let you do it for your own honor and glory, we pray. And Lord, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you as Savior, would you please help them to find out from someone else here today how they can leave this place knowing that they truly have eternal life and are a child of God. We commit this new new year to you in Jesus' name. Amen.